Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, this is going to be interesting because we're doing things a little out of order. Uh, we're recording episode 199 right after we recorded episode 200. <laughs> yeah. And so um, if you listen to episode 200, part one, and episode 200, part two, which would actually, I guess, be episode 201. 201, yeah. Um, you might hear us talking about stories that we already tell on this episode because after recording that one, we decided uh, I haven't told any stories directly in a long time. And uh, we've been so busy planning all the stuff for episode 200 that uh, we decided to go easy on ourselves and we would just do the two of us like we did with uh, the Chuck update. And uh we would chat for a little bit and talk about some of our stories um, that uh, we've been through. Yeah. So I thought um, I would open up the, the uh, podcast by giving a little bit of how I ended up getting in law enforcement. Cause we always do that. Everybody, everybody who listens to this show knows my dad worked for LAPD. Um, and I had looked into it early on because I was I was going to be a musician and I was playing in clubs and playing in a band or playing in several bands. And uh, that's what I really wanted to do. But ultimately, you know, the life of a musician is not conducive to the life of having a family. And I wanted to have a family. Uh, Too much partying. And, yeah. And I would rather have a family and a wife and kids that love me than a life on the road as a touring musician and a family at home that hates me. <laughs> yeah. But just think how many families you could have had. Yeah. If I was a touring musician on the road, I could have all the families. You could have all the families. Cause then, I mean, they eventually just leave you. I mean, look at Travis Barker. He had a fucking smoking wife and then a bunch of kids. And then she said, nah, I don't want you anymore. And now well, he's got he almost died a Kardashian. Crash. Yeah. I mean, there's, Dude, I would not want shit. a Kardashian. <laughs> That's punishment. How much money do you think? I mean, they're only on it for the show, but I mean, he doesn't seem like one of those dudes who, you know, whatever. I mean, that's a lot of eye candy, though. I mean, you can no, probably put I don't up with think a lot the Kardashians of Kardashians are anything. Oh, the younger not ones a, are. Nope. Dude, they just disgust me. They do some wild shit, but that, they disgust so who, me. Who got you into it? I mean, because it's kind of sounding like that it wasn't your. Well, no. So it basically, it was. I had a couple of career paths. I was either going to go into the entertainment business, like movies and music and stuff like that. I wanted to go originally when I was a kid, I wanted to go to school for film directing, but uh, it turns out USC time. film school is expensive and hard to get into. <laughs> and my grandfather had worked in the film business. And if I had played my cards, right? Well, that's not true. My grandfather worked on some pretty famous movies, but, but like he retired from the movie business the year I was born. So by the time I wanted to go into the movie business, like all his connections were gone. Like, you know, you still kind of ended up there in the end. Yeah. In a weird but way. Well, like I did that when stint. I was, so when I was, no, when I was working as a musician, when I play, I'd play nightclubs during the day and I'd work building movie sets and, and stuff oh, like as a uh, grip and shit. No grips do camera equipment. Um, but I was, I don't know. I was, 
<laughs> I was working um, the the art department, so I would set dressing, set construction. Oh, oh, my cousins are in that. My yeah. cousin, my 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 tattoo artist was one of those guys. Yeah, for Disney for twenty fucking years. Yeah. So that's what I did by day, and then I played nightclubs with my band and rehearsed at night. Well, when I decided, I you know after nine eleven, um, I was like, I got to do something else, you know this business isn't going to be great for having a family and this. And so I was talking to my dad and he said, well, what's the only other thing you've ever, what, what have you, what else have you ever wanted to do? And I said, well, you know, I used to go hang out with you at work and being a cop was always a cool thing. It's always kind of been in the back of my mind. And my dad knew that I'd mentioned to him. Yeah. I thought about, cause he'd asked me, you know, he want, he asked me if I wanted to go be a detention officer for LAPD. Cause you could do that when you were 19 years old. And I was like, eh, Nah, I'll 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 work on movie sets, you know. Yeah, um, because being a detention officer for LAPD yeah. and then playing in punk rock bands at night was not really doable. <laughs> yeah. So um you you'd finally, still, you'd still see drunk females just true. in a different spectrum. Just at a different with the lights on. Right. You can't go home with them. No. <laughs> oh, I mean you, you probably could. It would get fired. Bailing um, out. So I you know. When I decided to make the switch, I was about 23 and um, I'd spent, you know, five years or so, uh, maybe a little longer playing and working in theater and film and TV and stuff like that. And um, my current wife and I, my only wife (laughs) and I were dating (laughs) and we decided we were going to get married and I was going to, you know, give up that life and we were going to settle down, have family. And I said, well, I think if the only other thing I ever wanted to do was be a cop, you know, I'll give up the punk rock lifestyle of, you know, cause you can't be a cop and again, be playing in a punk band at night. And uh, I mean, you could, it would just be very awkward. But I mean, I've no, I know coppers who are in a band. They, yes. but I mean, it's like, but it's like not, a ska band. But right. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, um, there's limits to what you're, you know, yeah. Plus, it, your other band members know what you do, and then if it gets out, you're not cool. You're the man. You're a pig. You're all that stuff. Yeah. And, and now in L.A., you could get away with it because there's you know ten thousand cops, and the odds of you running into this, you know, playing a nightclub in front of somebody you've arrested is pretty thin. But what my dad had said to me, he said, "Son, I'll back your plan. I'll help you become a cop. Just do me a favor. Go anywhere but LAPD." And I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, it's not the same department." that I worked at. That was a long time ago too. Yeah. This was 2001. What's he think now? No, he doesn't even think about it at all. He's like, I don't, I don't even, it's just, so he he has, yeah, he doesn't like it at all. So he, I think he just doesn't even give it the time of day. He's like, it's not worth thinking about at this point. Right. So that was when I moved up to, uh, Central Coast of California, where he was at. He had retired up there. And that's where he was going to help me become a police officer because he didn't want me to do it in L.A. Now, I had applied for other departments, you know, closer to Southern California. Um, but I, you know, the goal was to take the first department that offered me a job at that point because um, this was in a time where a law enforcement job was hard to come by. Um, worked up for a hot minute, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, like I was in the era where they told me you have to come out 
as a white male, you have to come out like number one in the testing process to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. How long and, did it take the process? Um, from the time that I started applying till the time I started my job was probably a year. Wow. I was almost a year and a half. Yeah. A year, but I wasn't doing it in LA. So it's a lot different than a lot different, a lot more departments, you know, um, plus I put myself through the police Academy initially. So as I was going through the police Academy at a college departments would come and recruit because there was a lot of departments up there that couldn't afford to send people to the Academy. Oh, so you went that route. You went like a gold coast, like route, like, like a Rio Hondo, like, one, like Rio Hondo prep Acad- or Rio yeah. Hondo Academy where you right. put yourself there. I think is one's called like gold coast or some shit. And they know. go through the Academy. I don't know, but they go through the Academy and they go through the whole thing. And then a couple get picked off and at graduation, they get picked up and go over to, you know, whatever agency or, you know, Rio Hondo, a police department or whatever, they make them go through it and pay for it. And then they pick them up. But did you get picked up? Yes. So that was the thing is um, there were a bunch of departments in our area that didn't have the ability. In fact, there were only two departments in our entire County. One was the sheriff's department and one was another local police department. Only two departments in our entire county and one department in the neighboring county that were paying to send people through. So literally half of my class was people putting themselves through. Wow. Um, And I would say probably half of us that were not hired yet got hired during the academy. So the departments that were still hiring people would come down and they'd make their pitch to the classes about why their department was good and you should apply for them. You know, almost like the NFL draft or something, <laughs> like college college trying to recruit sports athletes and shit like that. Right. Um, and so then you would apply and then they would go to the well, let me back up. They would go to the staff. And the, at the academy, they would ask the staff, hey, who who in the class is worth a shit? And they would get a list of names of people that you should look at. And then they would pull you aside. They'd pull you into the office and they'd sit you down for an unofficial pitch about their department. And then if they liked you, they'd be like, you should apply to our department. And then they would fast track you through the whole hiring process so that by the time you graduated, you were graduating in their uniform with their patches, their badge, their paycheck. That's cool. All that stuff. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. So when I graduated, I started in the academy in one uniform and I ended the academy in the same uniform with different patches and a, real, and a, a different badge. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Um, how many people mm. uh, didn't graduate in, an, uh, in a different uniform? They just they graduated in the, the, the uniform that they were in when they started. Like So like they didn't get picked up. How many people didn't get picked up? 25%. Didn't or did? Didn't. Oh, that's a pretty good good rate. I mean, so half half of us, half of the class was already picked up. The other half of the class was not. The other twenty. Okay. And so then so fifty. So I was part of that. I was part of the half that didn't have a job when we started. But of the half that didn't get a job when or didn't have a job when we started, there was about half of us of that group that got jobs. Well, that's cool. And then there was about half of them that didn't get jobs 
and probably we're never going to get jobs. <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel. And the, um, and so it was just, it was kind of an easier way because, you know, I had talked to the Academy coordinator he goes, look, there's a lot of these departments that if you're putting yourself to the Academy and you're already proving that you can do the job, they'll pick you up a lot faster. And so that, you know, being a white male, you could overcome a lot of that by already having invested time and energy in the Academy and showing that you were doing well. And I came out second in my class. Um, I only missed valedictorian by, I think, two points overall out of all the different learning domains. And I'm not trying to brag. I just, I didn't give a shit about PTing as hard as some of the other people, but I was at least second or third in my class in every category. And so when you put all those points together, it made me almost number one. And the only, there was only two other people that were in contention for valedictorian. One of them shit the bed on evoc. And the other one shit the bed on report writing. Oh, no, no, I was going to say firearms, but no, no, we were the three of us that were the top. There were other people that shit the bed on firearms, but of, of those of us that were at the top of our class, um, you know, we were all pretty good on firearms, but, um, I was the only one that didn't really shit the bed on anything. I just didn't, I, if I could have, if I could have done a little bit more pushups and sit-ups in the final PT test, I would have boosted my score on the final and I would have got the extra two points that would have pushed me over to valedictorian. But I, I didn't, I didn't give a shit about being the valedictorian. Yeah. I gave a shit about getting a job. Right. And one of the things that my old man told me, he says, be outstanding, but don't stand out. Right. (laughs) Be good, but right under the fucking radar. Right. Exactly. You do not want to get skyline for anything. Yeah. So that's how I ended up getting a job and, um, Ended up start like I graduated right before Christmas and my department said, Hey, you know what? Take Christmas and new year's off. Spend some time with your family. You just finished the police Academy and first week of January, we're going to hammer you. <laughs> and so I graduated. the That's Academy. Said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I graduated <laughs> the Academy. I got two weeks off. And the next thing I know I was in a black and white. Well, shagging calls. two weeks off, dude. Yeah. Well, that's on Friday and started on a Sunday. <laughs> well, that was the thing. I graduated like literally right before Christmas and they didn't want to start putting me in the FTO program during Christmas and New Year's with all the fucking days off that people were like, it was just too chaotic. They were just like, it's, it's, it's pointless. Number one. And number two, it's, it's just cleaner for everybody involved, including our FTOs to start you first week of January. And so the first week you'll do your orientation with the city. And by January 7th or whatever, you'll be, or 11th or whatever the fuck it was, you'll be in phase one riding around in a car. So that was how I ended up in law enforcement. And it's funny because one of my FTOs kicked me out of his car and he goes, because we were talking about Adam 12 and we were, uh, you know, he was my phase one FTO and phase two FTO. And he kicks me out of his car and he goes, I got to get you out of my car. And I'm like, but we're not done with phase two. Did I do something wrong? And he goes, nope. This, I honestly, we get along too well. Um, and I'm starting to think of you like a partner and not like a trainee. And he goes, I'm doing you a disservice if I do that. So, um, I'm going to kick you out of my car. It's nothing personal. And then when you finish FTO, we can go out and have some beers and really become friends. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. (laughs) So he gave me the boot. He gave the boot, the boot. Um, what? 
What? Now that you say that, that sounds like reason why I didn't have one of the hardest FTOs at my station when I went through because he was military. I was military. We probably would have got along. And then when I partnered with him, uh, when I made probation or like the last two weeks of my probation and we partnered mm-hmm. up when I went through the next like two months with him, right? we were boys. Like he was, he, he yelled at me for shit, but like we just got along really fucking well. And everyone right. was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe that was the reason. Cause they got to, they could kind of pick and choose who they wanted. Well, our FTO program is a little bit different than yours. So a lot shorter, a lot different. Yeah. Um, I had um, the minimum requirement for FTO in the state of California is 16 weeks or it was at the time. That is, yeah. you have to spend 16 weeks with a training officer before they can put you out on your own and give you the ominous, ominous blessing to be a full fledged police officer. I then you're still on probation, 16. right? You're still on probation, but you are not a trainee. And so right. my other FTOs asked my first FTO, they're like, so what's he like? How's he? And they're like, he's, he goes, dude, that kid came out of the womb with two hash marks on his sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I'll tell you what, I remember the first DV I ever went to. Um, it was with my phase one FTO. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Right. And we go to this DV. And I remember the wife's team had lost. And she got pissed off and she, they were both drunk and she got pissed off at her husband for teasing her about her team losing. So she hits him upside the head with a wine bottle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we get called sick. out. Yeah. We get called out and it didn't break. Unlike in the movies, no. it did. It, it's tink. And then it I made out of sugar glass skull. Right. Uh, yeah. So I went there and I remember I go, going there and my FTO um, was watching me to see how I was going to handle it. Obviously. And he said, all right, you take the lead. And so we walk in and uh, I was talking to the, the husband and we'd separated the wife and the wife was talking to the other cop that was there. My FTO was with me and the husband starts talking to me and he's like, I'm in my, you know, I'm 24 years old and he's 60. And he goes, you know, I, I was interviewing about the, the incident and I, I asked him a question and he goes, listen here, son. And I said, sir, I'm going to stop you right there. And he, my FTO looked at me like, what the fuck are you about to do? <laughs> and I said, I've been polite and I've been professional with you this entire time. But I am not your son and you are not my dad. You can call me sir or officer Gandhi, but you will not call me son. Do you understand? <laughs> I thought and something goes, a normal boot would do. <laughs> well, so yeah. So he goes, he goes. You're right, officer. I'm sorry. I said, thank you. And my FTO looked at me like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Good command presence. I mean, that's all right. And so that was that was kind of the joke was like, I didn't put up with shit from day one. Right. 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 Um, and long story short, um, wh- I finally got into phase five and phase five. They gave me the 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 most tactical, badass FTO. And like th- it was the FTO that like all the cops said that fucking guy's dialed in. That guy's you know, cop of the fucking year. Right. And so they gave me to him for phase five and uh, we got in the car and he, he, you know, we spent two days together. Right. And he's, he was my phase five FTO, which means he's there to sit down and watch me. He could have, he could have gone 10, eight in plain clothes if he wanted to, because he's not even supposed to be there. It's supposed to be me on my own 
and he will only step in to stop me from breaking the law or violating policy. Right. Right. Well, they call it shadow face. He's just my shadow. He put on his uniform. We spent two days together in a car shagging calls at the end of our second day together. He looks at me and he goes, okay, I'm going to be real with you. I said, yeah. And he goes, you're it. 14 and a half weeks is you've got six more days to go and you'll be out of FTO. I said, yeah. And he goes, you're going to pass. I'm going to pass you barring you doing anything stupid. I've already seen enough to know you can do this job. I said, okay, thank you. And I had no idea where I was going with you. He goes, so from this point forward, let's just be partners and go fuck shit up. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That's kind of how what uh, kind of like what happened to me with that with the the hardest FTO that was at our station, and I think he watched me for a little bit, gave me a few fucking pointers, and he told me I wasn't aggressive enough, and I was like, "Oh, okay, you want me to be more aggressive?" He's like, "Yeah, ask, tell, make, motherfucker," and I was like, <laughs> "Got it." And so after a couple days of that shit, like the first week, he's like. All right, you want to go grab some beers afterward? And I'm like, oh fuck, dude. You're like, oh cool, shit. exactly. He so was that was kind that. of, yeah. Well, wouldn't surprise me. So that was kind of um, what happened, you know, as far as how I got into the whole thing. Um, yeah. Subsequent to that, so I we were talking about on the the anniversary episode. We 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 ended up talking about some of our most memorable collisions traffic accidents things you know tcs things we'd been to that were that stuck out in our minds um because we wanted to share some new stuff and it made me think of one in particular that stuck out in my mind but it's not a quick story so i thought i would share it with you guys um because it made a big impression on me early on in my career and i think it made a big impression on my partners and my my supervisors um for the way i handled it but uh, essentially we had the freeway, the 101 freeway, which goes the entire le- It's like the five freeway and the 101 in the, in the state of California, the 101 goes up the coast and the five goes up the middle of the state. And our town was on the coast and the five or the 101 freeway went right up the middle. And uh, that was like a main artery through town. There was also a main, like a main drag through town, but there was tons of back roads out in the boonies with no street lights that if somebody wanted to go from the South end of town to the North end of town, they could avoid police presence by driving these dark windy roads. And chances are we weren't patrolling back there very often. Right. Right. Well, I get dispatched to, uh, they used, they called it, uh, they came out this way. They came out as uh, non-injury TC injury TC and unknown injury TC. If you rolled to a non-injury, you just drove there. Right. But if it was an injury TC or an unknown injury TC lights and siren, cause somebody could be dying. Right. So I roll out there and they're saying it's an unknown injury TC. I get halfway there. They upgrade it to a, in, they know it's an injury. And when I arrive, the car was a little white car had it was on a on a road that was elevated and then there was like an 11 or 12 foot embankment 
down the right side of the road onto somebody's property. It was like a house that was on an acre and a half and they had a big, huge front yard, wrought iron gate all the way around the road to, you know, and then a, a big driveway that you drove down gated driveway to this big house that was down below the road. Well, the car had left the road on this curve, gone through the rot iron fence that was at the top of the road and stayed level with the road until it hit a tree about 11 feet off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hit, yeah. Hit the tree so hard. It okay. spun the car, popped all the doors. What? And the trunk. Yeah. It like the doors popped open to the fucking Jeep. <laughs> and then the car landed on the lawn and there was just shit everywhere. And that, so I get there, there's a big hole in the gate, wrought iron fence, you know, um, and trees all fucked up and you could see where the car hit it because the, the impact mark on the tree was 11 feet off the ground. Right. And then the car had spun around like, you know, 180 degrees and was sitting there in the, the yard. And then all the family that lived there was out there. And there was this young gal. She's probably 18, 17, 18 years old sitting on the ground. And so I come, I come down there, my flashlight and everything. It's probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 at night. It's late. And they're like, this is, she was in the car and she's in, she's hurt. And I said, okay. So she's, she's holding her head in her hands, you know, covering her oh, face, crying. That's not good. And I said, uh, I said, okay, let me see your face. And she goes, I'm fine. Right. And she had her hands in front of her face. Mm-hmm. So it came out like this. Uh-huh. Right. I'm like, I understand, but I need, I need to take a look at you. Cause I could see some blood on her hands. Right. So I grab her wrists and I pull her hands away from her face. Well, part of the reason she sounded like that was because her lips were hamburger. Ooh. Yeah. It was just her teeth. Her, her lips had hit her own teeth and her teeth had been pushed over to one side of her face. So her whole mouth was out of alignment and her teeth were just destroyed her lips and mangled them like hamburger. And then she had a hole about the size of a quarter right through her cheek and you could see her sinus cavities. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So from the, from the, from the bridge of her nose up, she was okay. From the bridge of her nose down, just a horror show. And I said, like a zombie dude. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those moments where I pulled her hands down. I'm like, okay, put it back up. Let's just hold them there. And then I told the people, I said, somebody go get me some clean towels from the house right now. Right. And so they go run inside to get some clean towels. We, we wrap up her face in the towels and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, paramedics, ambulance, everybody gets on scene. Other cops get on scene. I start having them, you know, take measurements, take photographs, get witness statements, all that kind of stuff. While I'm talking to the victim as much as I can. And I figure out she wasn't driving. And the witnesses tell me that there was a male that fled. So now I'm like, okay, so. Whoever the driver is was the male and he fled on foot. So I start to get a description trying to figure out, but this girl's so traumatized. She can't give me shit. Right. And uh, I'm working the scene. And as I walk up to my, what's that? You find him. 
so I was, I'm walking up to my car, <laughs> right? I'm walking up to my car. Another car rolls by. And these people are um, telling me, hey, um, is that an accident down there? I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Like, well, is, there, is everybody accounted for? Is everybody okay? And I said, why? And he said, well, because we just gave somebody a ride down the road. And I was like, what? Excuse me? He said, yeah, we were driving down the road and we saw this young guy walking down the road and he he was a little bit bloody and a little bit dirty. And um, he said his car had broken down and he needed a ride to his house and that he had fallen and hurt himself. So we gave, <laughs> we gave him a ride to his house. I was like, can you show me where that was? <laughs> right. Right. So they give me directions to the house. I know exactly what house it is. It's only about a half mile away. And I have a suspicion based on the description and where the house was. And I went back to the girl. I'm all, Hey, was so-and-so the guy that was in the car with you? And she goes, "Uh huh." like, all right. So I tell the sergeant, I'm like, I got to go. And he's like, what? I said, can you guys handle the scene? I need a backup officer. I got to go. He goes, what's up? And I said, I think I located the driver. So I go over to this house. There is a bunch of fucking white trash scumbags in the driveway. Just shit birds in the driveway. Oh, and I recognize some of them. And uh, I'm like, hey, what's up? Who's home? He's like, nobody's just us. I'm like, really? Nobody got dropped off. And I mentioned the kid's name. He's like, no, he's not home. Oh, really? He's not inside the house right now. Because I've got somebody that told me they just dropped him off here and he went inside. Nope. It's not in there. I said, cool. Well, I'm going to go in there and check. And they're like, no, you can't go in there. You don't have a warrant. I said, let me back up. said, let's back up for a second. You are on fucking parole. Right? And he goes, yeah. I'm all, so do you live here? Because if you live here and you're on parole, I can search the place for a parole search if I want to. Oh, no, I don't live here. Okay, cool. Then you have no standing to tell me I can't go in there. And I'm going to go in there and check because there could be somebody injured from this traffic collision that needs medical assistance. So emergency circumstances, exigent circumstances, I'm going to go in there, get the fuck out of my way. And technically, you could argue it's like a fresh pursuit. You you know what I mean? Like it's You could argue a whole – there was – I just knew – as a young cop, I'm like, I could argue, articulate this six ways to Sunday. My suspect's on probation. Right. The guy who's telling me I, who, who does, I knew he lived there. Like, I'd be able to prove that he lived there. I'd be able to call his parole agent and get his address of record. And it would have been, you know, this would have been listed as one of his addresses. I'd have right. been able to go in there with parole. I was about to have the parole agent issue a warrant for this guy's arrest for obstruction. Right. And I'm, I'm reading him the riot act. And I said, so get the fuck out of my way and give me the key or I'm kicking in the door okay <laughs> fucking hands me the key i get my backup officers we open the fucking door oh, but you don't live there <laughs> you're right <laughs> you fucking idiot exactly uh we go in the front door we hook up uh, which one's which one's this guy's room and it was derek was his name and he goes oh it's that room boom i go in there guy's in bed he's in bed bro but he's still <laughs> dirty as shit and bloody and all fucked up and all fucked up so I haul his ass out of bed. I document his injuries. So he had a broken femur. 
right? Shit. He had walked on a broken femur. He was shit faced, right? Yeah. And he had a like semicircle half moon shaped laceration on the top of his scalp, right? Oh, wow. And I looked at it under the light with the medics and I realized those are fucking teeth marks. So what happened was <sighs> when that tree hit or that car hit that tree and spun it, he got whipped because it's on the right side of his head. He got whipped to the right and his back back of his head above his ear hit her face. It makes sense. Broke her face and smushed all of her teeth and face over yeah. to one side and destroyed. So it was his head that had turned her lips into hamburger. Yeah, and then broke her jaw. <laughs> right, and broke her jaw. And what we could, what we, what we guessed was that uh, one of the wrought iron pickets had punctured her face and <sighs> fucked up, giving her that hole, that perfect little hole into her sinus. Wow. So. I hook him up, take him to the fucking hospital. Um, I I file on him because we're not going to arrest him when he's going to be staying in the hospital for a couple of days. Cause I don't know how it is in other places, but where I worked and in my state, if you arrest somebody and then you, they admit him to the hospital, the department and the city are paying the bill for the hospital. Right. You can absentee book him. Yes. And he has to pay his own. Right. So, I just said, fuck it. You're, you're not under arrest anymore. You can stay in the hospital for as long as you need. Uh, I'm going to go write the report of the century and file felony DUI with injury and felony um, hit and run with injury on you. And so I did. And he got 11 years. Jesus. Yeah. I fanged him so hard he got 11 years. So flash forward, uh, I go into Narcs, come out of Narcs several years later, and I'm working the south end of town because as listeners of this show know, it's always the south end. <laughs> and uh, I see this little car driving around a neighborhood that's known for drug activity, and it's late at night, and I'm like, are they buying dope? So I go light the car up, walk up. And I see this young gal in the driver's seat. She's probably 21, 22, maybe. And uh, license registration, insurance, you know, hands it over to me. And I look at her face and I realize that her lips are, are cross hatches of scars where her lips had been sewn back together. And then she's got a perfectly circular little scar on her cheek. And I was like... <laughs> Hey, do you remember me? She goes, what? And I said, do you remember me? She goes, should I? And I said, I was the cop that responded to your accident and, you know, held your face in a towel and then went and arrested Derek for the accident you got in with him several years ago. And then the look of recognition washed over her face and she burst into tears, just started crying. And she was like, I, I didn't know if I was ever going to get to talk to you again. I didn't know if I was ever going to get to see you again. And I just, I, I, that whole incident just 
affected my life so much. I've turned my life around. I don't hang out with people like that anymore. I don't this, I don't that I'm doing some, you know, I'm doing good. I'm in, I'm in school, this, and that, and the other thing. And uh, I said, well, then what the hell are you doing in this neighborhood? She goes, Oh, I'm just leaving a friend's house. And they had a, an apartment complex over there that was like for the young kids that couldn't afford really nice apartments. <laughs> Shit like that. Right. And so I said, okay, well, this is, this is not the greatest neighborhood. So just be careful when you're driving around here at night. And uh, I didn't even, I let her off with a warning and that was the last I ever saw of her again. But it was one of the only times just by random chance that several years after I had held this poor girl's face together and put a guy in prison for destroying her life. Right. That I just happened to pull her over and recognize the scars on her face and realize it was the same girl. I don't even think, I don't even know that I would have remembered her name. Yeah. Like looking at her driver's license. I don't know that I would remember her name. So for me, that, that, TC probably sticks out in my mind the most because of the amount of damage done to her face and the way I was able to arrest that piece of shit who did it to her. And then the fact that, you know, four or five, four years later or whatever it was, I, you know, pulled her over and she was able to say, thank you. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's not often we get those kind of opportunities really. Yeah, I've only had, I think, one like full circle thing oh, that I can we, really think like of right now. What happened? Uh, well, it was when I was on probation and they had a, uh, um, basically a rape call. Mm-hmm. And long story short, we did the investigation, hooked up the suspect, you know, got her safe. And then, um, <clears throat> you know, we didn't really get to talk to her because DCFS came and she liked that because she was a minor. And took her away, and that was like the last of it. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Fucking fast forward like four or five fucking years working in uh, my area in a completely different part of town, like mm-hmm. very far away, and kind of like in a known location for dope and um, funny business, like screwing in cars and stuff. So it's middle of the night, and I'm like, "Oh, let's go check this car." Like this is weird. Like these two kids are over there, you know light up the car with our lights but it's not like not like the overheads just like the spots and shit just so we can see kind of go over there and like hey what the fuck's going on why are you guys in the in the school because they used to make deals in the school or like screw in the school parking lot right and just ends up being these two kids and i recognized one and she recognized me and she she was like holy fuck you're uh fucking so-and-so and i was like yeah i know you she's like i know you too she's like you got me out of that situation and you helped me out and um you basically got me to talk about it and kind of like save my life. And I was like, fuck really? She goes, yeah, thank you so much. And she kind of like started crying and shit. And I was like, damn dude. Like, cause I had done so many rape investigations, so many sexual assaults, so many, whatever you never get to ever see them again, especially the kids and shit. And then years later you get that closure. You're like, Oh fuck. Like you're okay. And because we intervened, you're actually like safe today. Right, she's like no longer in that spot. She's no longer in danger anymore. And I mean, that was a pretty rough one too. I mean, this this kid was abused for years. I mean, she's probably gonna be all fucked up for the rest of her life. But to know that she was like, "Oh, thanks so much," you know, like that full circle type of thing. It's really rare. It's very rare. Right, very rare. You only get it a few times in your career. Um, there might be a couple more, but I just I fucking that's the one that sticks out right now. Um, but yeah, crazy. Always feels good. It does. 
like I said, we don't get it enough, right? Like this, I guess maybe when I, you know, it's weird. I have this weird fantasy of, uh, no, I'm not going to, it's not a locker room conversation. I'm not that kind of fantasy. <laughs> Chuck's looking at me like, uh, what the fuck are you going to say? Um, Part of me wishes that I could even move further into the boonies and move to a small town where there's like a sheriff and two deputies and there are no shifts, right? Like you just go to, you know, go to the station Monday through Friday, eight to five or whatever. And then if a call comes out, you throw on your uniform and you go handle it. Um, and then call it good. Like, like small town sheriff, like, you know, where, you know, all 2000 people in your town and you could just drive over there and tell, you know, Earl to keep his cows off of Mabel's property. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be an interesting branch of law enforcement to, to get into. I, I talked to a guy one time, he works so rural. And I think I told this story, he works so rural that he once responded to a DV in a cement truck. What? Yeah. So what? he was over at his buddy's house, helping him pour concrete. And the DV comes out and he's the closest one to it. And he doesn't have his gun. All he's got his badge in his wallet. And he had the cement truck there to be pouring concrete into this job. And he tells his buddy, he says, Hey, I got to go to this call. They call, they, I just got to call on my work phone. And so he borrowed his buddy's revolver. And stuck it in his waistband and jumped in the cement truck and drove to the DV. Jesus, that's like some shit you see in a movie that never fucking happens. And if it happens, it's so against like your policies. <laughs> yeah, but they, I mean, he but, was like, yeah, that's not that's so different. That's not unheard of. That's totally normal. Crazy. This yeah. friend's gun, like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like, do you have a gun I can borrow? I got to go to this call. Like there's been things like in the area that I worked where it didn't happen to me, but we heard about it. And it was coppers involved in a fucking pursuit that turned into a vehicle pursuit and the coppers fled their vehicle chasing this dude he hops into another car and they're so far away from their own car like you know they're they're trying to set up a perimeter like but units are coming but it's it's a big fucking city so it's like taking forever with traffic and stuff and dude hops in a car and i guess he's good for like a really good felony or some shit for them to do this well they commandeer a vehicle kick the person the fuck out and take off in a fucking civilian car mm-hmm. face him down and and then and fucking hook him up and um that was like cowboy shit and um they got the guy kudos for getting the guy but they got so fucked for like basically stealing someone else's car you know and chasing this dude down and like just wild shit and i was like what the fuck i remember hearing about that i was like we can fucking do that they're like no <laughs> I was like, well commandeering a vehicle is not a thing fuck? just ladies and gentlemen like just so, so you, you know stole that shit like commandeering vehicle in fact one of the most famous like cops going and asking for public assistance incidents was the north hollywood shootout when the cops that were involved knew they were outgunned and, they ran out and so they shit. drove over to a local gun shop that was law enforcement friendly and was like hey we need to we need some firepower yeah and the gun shop gave them guns Gave them like AR-15s and rifles and shit so they could respond to this North Hollywood shootout. And they got in trouble for it. The gun stop, the gun store did. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Do you remember that one? That. But like, 
<clears throat> the North Hollywood shootout? Again. No, the 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 incident with the gun store. I don't know if you might have been too young to hear about that one. Well, I don't know. I heard about a lot of shit that's happened. Um, a lot of like firsthand accounts of things that I can't talk about. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I've ever heard about that one. But I've I've heard about a lot of crazy shit. You know. Um. Yeah. So I think. Um, let's see. Like active Officer- gang members involved in police agencies. Yeah, so the, according to a woman who worked next door to the gun shop, she said the cops were banging on the door and saying, we need your help. We have an army out there. And uh, they were only armed with nine millimeters and shotguns. And so the gun store manager uh, opened his warehouse to the officers and uh, gave them uh, semi-automatic rifles. That was the North Hollywood show, though? Mm-hmm. Gave them semi-automatic so I- rifles and a bunch of rounds. Um, I, I heard about it, but because it was so overshadowed by the shootout that it was like, eh, whatever, it's not a big deal for for the agency involved, right? But for them, I didn't hear that they got in trouble, but yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm going to have to look at... Um, I know a lot see. of people who were there. <laughs> yeah. Who were involved. Uh, see, I'm trying to see what got... I think it was the ATF that shut them down. Uh, oh fucking really dude come mm-hmm. on man yeah they went bankrupt um i'm trying to figure out why but yeah they got in trouble and uh that was the beginning of the end uh that was the beginning of the end for them because i wonder how many of them didn't get the, any guns back like if you were like oh, i got a free gun <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean or like the agency took them for like their fid interviews and they just kept them because they're like i don't know who this gun belongs to well i don't think that was that like they they got them back but it was like the atf was like you guys can't fucking do that right like probably fanged them fanged them so much it just they hammered them out of existence yeah yeah Yeah. that's that that's what i can only imagine it's like fines and stuff like that plus you know they suspend like whoever did it probably got his ffl suspended so then you have to transfer it to somebody else and like it just got too expensive for them to even stay in business because of all the fines and you know that the atf probably seized a bunch of guns that were you know the two things that'll get you really in trouble is tax evasion and anything dealing with guns yeah atf is no joke and the irs is no joke even though they're a joke yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean the irs is how they got they got fucking uh What's his name? That mafia boss. A couple of them, actually. Uh, but uh, fuck, he's a Chicago mob boss. He was in charge of the Valentine's Day massacre. Really? That's how they got him. Yeah, that's how they got him. They couldn't get him on anything else. Oh, yeah. They got him on tax yeah. evasions. Yeah, they got him on that was the movie. For like years. Sorry, I was thinking about um, some. Yeah, they, they sent him to Alcatraz, federal prison. Yeah. And he died of syphilis. <laughs> yeah, fucking wild. Yeah, uh, but I mean, if, if you want to hear the story of that, go go watch uh, The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, and you'll see like it was an accountant that like they were going after Capone all every every way they could, and it was ultimately a fucking accountant that said we can get him to, for not paying his taxes on all this money that he's hiding, yeah. and they were able to do it. Fucking a, right? Yeah, but now, that's why now they have the RICO laws and racketeering in organized crime organizations or something like that. I don't, I don't remember what RICO stands for off the top of my head, but basically if they can prove 
that you are part of a money-making enterprise that uses crime, you're all going to jail. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, long, long time. Yeah. Anyway, so that was my TC story that uh, I thought you guys might enjoy hearing. Um, I, uh, that's how I got into law enforcement, and that's how I ended up in a, a small city on the Central Coast instead of working for LAPD. I did later on apply to LAPD, and... I thought I wanted to go there because I don't, you know, I was like, my dad didn't want me to go there. I, I didn't, but my wife and I were talking about moving back to Southern California. We missed some of our friends and I thought I can go to LAPD and, and maybe get on a, a bigger narc team there and this, and that, and the other thing. So I tested and I came out um, really high, especially for a lateral. And uh, they sent me, to backgrounds and they sent me to the polygraph and all that kind of stuff. And I got, I remember I got down there and I had to badge my way into Parker center because I had to go take the poly and I had a gun on me. And so you had to like, I had to tell him, look, I'm a cop. I have a gun and I'm on my way up to right. SID. And so the guys at the front desk, two, two uniform coppers that had either pissed somebody off and gotten benched or gotten hurt and gotten benched. But they're always assholes there. <laughs> no, they were totally cool with me. And I badged them and they're like, wait, you work where? And I told them. And they're like, and you live where? And I told them. And they're like, and you're coming here to apply for a job? I said, yeah. And he goes, why? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, well, I, you know, my dad used to work here. He goes, dude, it ain't your dad's department. Don't fucking come here. It sucks, bro. And I was like, that was really back when? this was this would have been 2006 2005 oh wow they were saying that yeah. then yeah yeah um and they were like don't 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 fucking come here bro and um i was like really and so i um went up and i took the poly and i'm gonna tell you right now that's a whole other story that polygraph examiner treated me like shit so who was he? Can you just give me a description? I don't say name. Just description. Uh, don't even don't even remember. White, like a white dude. Oh, really? Yeah, this was twenty years ago. They're all assholes, man. And so, um, I looked at him and I went because he came back in the room and told me I was being deceptive about a few things. Oh yeah, yeah. And I went, no, I'm not. And he goes. Well, the test shows I'm all, first of all, stop, I'm going to stop you right there. I get what you're doing. Right. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm not being deceptive. I'm there. None of my answers are going to change because those that's the truth. And he goes, well, obviously something's not right. Or the machine wouldn't come back this way. And he goes, you know, I realize you're a good dude. Obviously you're a good dude. If you're trying to become a cop. And I said, whoa, 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 bro. I'm gonna stop you right there. I already am a cop. Right. And I've used all of the same interview and interrogation techniques with suspects that you're trying to use on me. But only I'm going after criminals, not people applying for this agency. I said, I get what you're saying. I'm just telling you nothing I told you is a lie and nothing in there is deceptive. And my none of my answers are going to change. So I don't you can ask me as much as you want. I'm just telling you this up front. 
And he goes, well, okay. I mean, if that's the case, I'm just going to have to turn in my, my findings the way they are and tell them you're being deceptive. And I said, okay, then that's what you have to do. Do what you got to do, bro. And I walked out and I get a letter in the mail from LAPD and they, what do you think they asked me? Uh, to retake the polygraph. Yep. They can't, they said yeah. your test was inconclusive. <laughs> Can you come back and retake it? And I'm like, fuck you. I was so disheartened and disgusted by how a civilian LAPD employee, because at LAPD, the polygraph examiners are civilians. Yeah. A lot, a lot of them are retired now. They're like retired cops who come back and work there. Well, this guy was, I I don't think he was old enough to have been retired and be, you know. He probably had a chip on his shoulder, right? It may be, but he, he treated me like such dog shit that I was like, wait a minute. If this is how, if this is how it is for guys who score really well that want to come here, how the fuck are you going to treat me when I actually get here? And all the things my dad said, it ain't, it ain't the same department. The two guys downstairs were like, don't fucking come here. I'm like. I'm getting all these warning signs and these road signs put up in front of me that are saying, don't do it. So I called the background investigator back and I said, "Uh, no, I won't be coming down and retaking the polygraph. She goes, what? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to be retaking the polygraph. If you want to offer me a job based on where we're at, cool. If you want to disqualify me, that's fine. I said, but I'm really not interested in coming to a department that treats people like this. She's like, oh, well, uh, okay. Peace out. Yeah. That was the end of it. That, those practices haven't fucking changed at all either. I mean, every guy I've talked to has gone through that process. Military guys, they're all like, yeah, I had to retake it like twice. Yeah. And they're still telling me I was lying on the second one. And I was like, no, no, not. And then they ended up pushing them through and some just got flat out declined. And then um, some of us... Had to take polygraphs multiple, multiple times and kept arguing. We're not Which fucking is lying. Bullshit. Yeah. They, and then right off the bat, when you walk into that place and they're like, oh, you were in the military? Yeah. You're a fucking liar. Right. What? And a thief. And I'm like, that's how we're going to start, dude? Right. What the fuck kind of mind game is this, bro? You're telling me that I served my country for four fucking years and you're going to come off right off the bat and say, hey, good morning, not even good morning. Just like, oh, you're in the military. Yeah. Oh, yeah you're fucking liar and, a thief. Mm-hmm. and you're like, what the fuck kind of horseshit voodoo stuff is this? Fuck you, man. And then you're all angry for the fucking test. because You're like, this motherfucker, dude, you have the part of me thinks they do it to like th- that? They, that polygraph examiners do that shit to throw you off your game to get you emotional so that. You're already fucking riled up, like, and you come back inconclusive, anyways. <laughs> well, so I know how to, I know how to, I know how people beat polygraphs. If I really wanted to, I could beat a polygraph test, absolutely. But I got asked, have you ever seen the movie with Christian Bale where he was in like that special ops dude and he wanted to go to LAPD and he fucking uh, puts tax in his shoes and takes a bunch of antihistamines and fucking there's that one, yeah, puts pit, piss in him and stuff. So I had watched that when I was in high school, right? And it always stuck with me because I was like, that's a fucking wild scene, right? I go down for a polygraph and they're like, have you watched any videos on, you know, how to beat a polygraph? And I was like, no. And they're like, "Uh, do you know how to beat a polygraph? And I was like, no. And they're like, have you ever seen any videos of people trying to beat a polygraph? I was like, well, yeah. A movie with Christian Bale in it. I was like, I can't think of the name, but he was a special forces dude. And he kind of was trying to get onto this department, right? LAPD and, you know, da, 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 this and that. And 
they're like, oh, so you 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 were researching? I was like, I saw this when I was in high school, dude. No, I'm yeah. to be honest, right? So I mean, um, but that never worked out. So they just whatever, dude. Well, that's the thing. Like the you could. This is my experience applying. That was your experience applying. Like lots yeah. of agencies do that shit. I, I applied fucking... for a sheriff's department that shall remain nameless. And I look, I, I, dude, I started off on the wrong foot with the polygraph examiner because I walked in for my polygraph <laughs> and I looked at him and I was, dude, I was being honest. I was just being honest and curious because that's, that's the kind of guy I am. And I was in my, like, it was like 20, this was during that year period where I was applying for departments. And I just looked at him dead in the face and I was like, so how come these aren't admissible in court? <laughs> Fuck, dude. Yeah. I think like I've shot, asked one of the similar questions. Shot across his bow right before and we did the fucking test. They're just like, you're not gonna fucking pass no matter what. Fuck you, right. dude. You can exactly. tell it. I had an agency real quick. Uh Beverly Hills. I'll name them. Beverly Hills PD. Wanted me so fucking bad. And I was I was testing with them, passing everything at the top of their fucking that's just boom at the top. Right. It was the only time I've ever been at the top. And I was like, I felt so good. I was like, this is fucking great. Yada, yada. Go to the polygraph and I fucking come in. And it's a cop who works patrol giving me a fucking polygraph. And I'd already met the guy and he was cool. And I like hung out with him a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Prior. And we come in. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you this polygraph. Da, da, da. And he's still all fucked up from the foot pursuit that he was in. And I saw him right after that foot pursuit. And I was talking to him and he was all fucked up or the day of the foot pursuit. Um, and then I go in to take the test and he I'm I'm taking the test and, and he's like, Hey man, you're hitting on a couple. It's a little weird and wonky. Would have you change up your routine? And I was like, uh, I mean, I haven't had any coffee cause I don't want to be like jittery and I didn't want to like try to deceive right. this machine or anything. And he's like, Oh no, 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 no. I need you to go grab a fucking cup, a normal cup of coffee, at Starbucks right down the street, come back and like say 30, 40 minutes, drink that cup of coffee. And then that will be your normal. Cause that's how you normally operate. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, go do that and fucking come back and we shot the shit and he's like all right it's been about an hour let's hit the machine again and i was like all right cool and we fucking did it and he's like cool everything looks great and i was like oh fuck all right yeah <laughs> it was such a different experience it wasn't like you, you didn't come off right off the bat and be like fuck you you're lying you're a liar you're a thief you know what i mean right you know and other places were like ah, oh, this is gonna be really easy you know and just tell the truth and you come back and they're like oh great fucking perfect everything looks good and you're like did i pass look we can't tell you what your background investigator but i didn't see any issues and you're like awesome see you later Yep. You know, exactly. and it's completely a different thing. Honestly, well, you would probably have had a big fucking complaint if you would have contacted, um, you know, uh, HR or whatever the fuck for LAPD, whatever. It's yeah, called, but I, I, that was the thing. Like I, every time I, I could have beefed people for stuff. I was like, is it really worth it? And the answer is no, it's not worth it. So anyway, well, normally we let our guests use have the dedication but i don't have a dedication i mean i have people i would dedicate it to but um chuck has a dedication so let's go with that yeah i was on odmp and i saw this and it was the first one of odmp of the new year of 2023 and i was like okay well read that right and it's something that i fuck i haven't seen in a very long time and it's uh chief police justin mcclintry I'm going to murder this name. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you all know Chuck can't do names, so don't worry about it. Well, I mean, this is a very difficult name. Chief of Police Justin McClintry was shot and killed near the intersection of Breckenridge Avenue and Morgan Street during a foot pursuit of a wanted suspect. Um, the man was wanted for a probation violation involving weapons and had fled from a Pennsylvania State Police um, during a traffic stop the previous night. He then fled on foot from Harrison Township 
uh, the following morning during a traffic stop. At about 2 p.m., he was located near the border of Breckenridge Borough and Tarentum Borough and led officers on a foot pursuit for over two hours. He opened fire on officers in the 900 block of Breckenridge Avenue and again in the 800 block of 3rd Avenue in which Chief McClintree was killed and a Tarentum Borough officer was wounded. After shooting both officers, the man carjacked a vehicle and fled into the city of Pittsburgh. He fled into a wooded area following a vehicle pursuit and then opened fire on officers. He was shot and killed by uh, by return fire. Chief McClintry served with the Breckenridge Borough Police Department for 22 years. He had been sworn in as a police uh, police chief of the Breckenridge Borough Police Department exactly four years earlier. He was 46 years old. He had a 22-year tour, and his badge number was 1501. Well, rest easy, Chief. We got it from here. And even Chiefs can get honored on this show because Chiefs can pay the ultimate sacrifice too, especially there's agencies that have what they call working Chiefs, which is a lot like the old school player coach where you would coach the team and play. And a working Chief is a Chief who goes out and shags calls. That's fucking wild, dude. I've I've only seen a Chief, one Chief do that. And he was on the show. Yeah, exactly. And he's fucking, dude crazy all right well uh why don't you uh why don't you take us out chuck and uh yeah, we'll, f- we'll look forward to, you heard the story that i will reference on the 200th episode is the the traffic collision story that i should tell someday i just told it so you guys are going to be listening to the future <laughs> yeah yeah you're that's back what is it uh fucking marty mcfly what is it right, back to the future back to the future you just went back right. to the future uh, well, thank you all today for listening. If you like today's podcast, please go and follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official in our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us and share our posts and our info, you can also go to the link in our bio on our Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and our website. Our podcast is on all major podcasting platforms as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. Um, and if you want to be featured on the show, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Again, that is booking dot war stories at gmail.com and send me your story and i can get you booked we are looking for law enforcement corrections dispatchers fire medics and veterans we are also looking for some canadian veterans and canadian cops and we'll open this up to around the world yeah if you live in a different country and you're listening to this yeah we've had australian cops yeah reach out to booking.warstories at gmail.com we can work around your schedule whether it has to be in the middle of the night or whatever to hear your stories and how it is across the pond or over the border in fucking Canada, uh, you know, on the Our, mounted police and stuff like that. <laughs> America's hat. Um, yeah. And uh, again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. All right. Until our next episode, which is our 200th episode. 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 Come home with your shield or on it. <laughs>